Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals, the podcast that allows every therapist, nail tech and stylist to level up, build their career and reach for their dreams. Each week we'll be looking at a different area of the industry and along the way I'll be chatting with salon owners, industry leaders and mentors who'll be sharing their stories on how they achieved their goals and made their successes. I'm Sue Davies, your host, award-winning salon owner and industry professional. Welcome to Inspiring Salon Professionals. Hi there and welcome to this week's Inspiring Salon Professionals. This week I'm going to take a look at market positioning Um, and it's something that I've talked about a little bit here and there I think probably over the course of um, the previous episodes but I myself attended um, a business strategy soiree um, in the week with a lovely lady I met called Wendy Garkaz who I met on a course I was doing last year and she was hosting this um, strategy soiree so I went along and it just kind of brought back to my mind the importance of recognising where you sit in your market and where you are going to get your clients from because that's what market positioning is all about. So let's think about what that actually means and The easiest way to talk about it is probably to think about the fact that we all go shopping. Let's face it, some of us do it too much. Some of us probably don't get the chance to do it enough. Some of us don't have enough money to go shopping as often as we'd like. And all of those factors will position you as a business owner, but will also position your clients as to what kind of business it is that they're looking to visit and to receive services from. So where you sit is really, really important. And it comes down to where you feel comfortable, but also the kind of client that you want to attract. And if you, you'll see what I mean as we talk, as I talk through the analogy of, of how this kind of works in my head and the way that it is often viewed by many, many people that are looking at your marketing and all of that kind of stuff too. To, cl- to attract your perfect client, you need to give them the perfect setting. And if you aren't comfortable in the setting that you create, it will be quite obvious to your clients. So you have to be a blend of you and your client's dreams and put that together kind of thing. When you go to the high street, what shops are you attracted to? What shops do you like shopping in? What shops give you the best customer service? What shops give you the best value for money? What shops can you afford to shop in? I mean, let's face it, a lot of us would love to be able to visit um, some of the really high-end shops all the time, you know, popping into like DKMY or into um, Harrods and walking around their franchises. I mean, I I go into Harrods and just walk around dreaming one one day, one day. But I know that that isn't me. It makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable because it isn't, you know, I can't afford to go in there and spend £4,000 on a coat. I'd love to be able to, but it isn't me. And that's not where I sit. That's not to say that when I had my salon, I didn't attract clients that could do that. And a lot of that is down to how you position yourself. It really does come down to whether you are Aldi or whether you are Fortnum and Mason and everything in between. So look at what it is that you want to offer. Do you want to offer high volume, lower price products, which would be an equivalent to somewhere like Aldi or Lidl? And I will preface everything I'm going to say with, there is no judgment in this. There is no right way, no wrong way. Everybody has got their own business model and has the right and the option to run their business however they so choose. But knowing where you're 
specialism is and where your position is will enable you to get the right clients that fit your business. So if you are an Aldi or little kind of salon, that means that you're going to potentially have a really, really busy, busy salon. Because if your prices are lower to meet your overheads and your staff costs, you're going to have to have a higher volume of clients because your costs um, going to the client are lower. And it's just it's just basic maths. So you end up in a situation where you may have a high number of workstations, but your maximum price of service may be, say for nails, £25. And maybe for a facial, your most expensive facial may be 40 or £50. But that is servicing clients that like that kind of place to visit. They like having that level of pricing. They like the fact that it's busy and hustly and bustly and that it's easy to access for them. You're probably not going to find expensive machinery, high-end products and all those things that you'd expect from somewhere that is charging a high price for their treatments. This is your kind of budget salon and there is a huge market for this in today's world, especially where we are at the moment after the pandemic and there are a lot of people that are now really, really trying to um, pull their belts in and to economize a little bit and that isn't going to change with inflation rising and all the rest of it that we have going on so some of these salons are going to get busier and busier and busier at this point and if you're about to start a salon it may be worth thinking about this may be where your market position wants to be because everybody is going to have less money to spend and so looking at how you can market a business to get enough clients in to fill the seats to create enough income and enough revenue to pay the team and pay for your products and pay for your overheads and still give you profit but this end of the market is fairly flooded and it's a highly competitive market so you may want to consider whether this area of the market is where you want to be because you will be working much harder, longer hours and potentially for less return. So it's somewhere that you really, really need to get your figures absolutely right because if you don't, you're going to be working harder, earning less profit and you will be working yourself to the bone for not much recompense and not much reward and that can be really, really frustrating as a business owner and I see again and again and again so many um, salon owners that are struggling trying to work out how to make more money from this scenario and the only way to do it is to get your pricing right which um, is something that we will talk about in future episodes which kind of leads on to as well with this bit of market positioning is that because the price is already very what some may consider to be cheap others may consider to be affordable there's I'm sure many debates over that on it just in itself but you have a place in the market here where you don't have very far to go and salons in this position will quite often discount to get higher levels of clients through the door but that is just a fight to the bottom because in that scenario all you're going to be doing is just giving away money effectively and that money is going to come from your profit and that is not somewhere you want to be. And so you really need to box quite cleverly if you are in this market position because you can't afford to discount too heavily. And so adding value to your treatments is probably the best way to go. You're not really going to be in a position to give discounts to your clients on a date lot on a regular basis. So perhaps recommend a friend schemes and loyalty cards and so on aren't really going to be a great option for you because you are 
are going to have tight margins and anything that takes money out of that profit margin whether it's a five percent discount on a treatment or you know you give five pounds away if you recommend a friend all of those little discounts and gifts to your clients are going to cost you your profit and so you really really need to be very very sensible in this particular grouping if you are wanting to do that because you are not going to be able to afford to do that if your prices are already quite close to the bone. So now we're going to move on to the next category, which is your more kind of regular average high street brand, which is along the lines of Sainsbury's, Tesco's and all those high street brands like Boots and Next, for example. But all of those kind of mainstays and these salons are going to charge a slightly higher price. They're going to attract people that have got a slightly higher disposable income, maybe more of a professional level job. Um, it may be that they sort of, you know, they work in the in the local city. It could be that, you know, they have their own businesses, but whatever their background is and what their ambitions and their goals in life are, they're going to generally be people that have got that little bit more money to spend and want to put that into somewhere where they're going to get great value for money, they're going to get quite a lot for what they're spending and that they are going to be treated with really good customer service. They're going to want something in return. They're going to want to feel like they're part of it a little bit more. So they're going to want things like loyalty cards. They may really enjoy recommend a friend because they go to this amazing salon and it's this and it's that and they want to tell their friends about it. And this is probably one of the larger areas and the larger number of salons in our industry probably sit within this field. In these salons, everything is usually affordable to those that want to go to them. And some of it can be a little bit aspirational. But on the whole, these are fairly, it's a fairly average salon. And, you know, a bit like Sainsbury's and Tesco's and Morrison's, you know, you know that when you go there, you're going to probably be able to find what you want. They're going to have a bit of a choice. You might have some things that are slightly more expensive, some things that are within your budget. Um, but there's opportunity to be more aspiring and to be able to save up and have those slightly more expensive treatments if you want to. The team that are working in the salons of this um, level are probably going to have a little bit more time and they're not going to be so pressurised into um, getting the next client. It's not quite so conveyor belt maybe and that's a term that quite often gets used with the more discounted end of the salon market. These salons, you know, they do. There's probably... There's a little bit more space in the profit margins because they're charging a higher price that enables them to just allow a little bit more time or maybe they've got a receptionist that can then start talking to the customer um, or the client about what products the therapist may have spoken about during a facial or during a hair treatment. There are many more opportunities. There probably is just there's just more available money to make a more pleasing surrounding to the client um, and that is probably one of the um, biggest things it just allows clients the opportunity to spend more and so these salons are probably going to have a much higher turnover and this will come from less clients because they don't need to fit so many bums on seats so to speak and it may create a slightly more calm and tranquil environment for the client because you haven't got all of that busy, busy, busy going on all of the time. There's probably going to be um, a, a different level of decor, a different level of um, finish, a different level of products, different level of equipment. And all of that will be what attracts those clients because they want just a little bit more. Next, we're going to look at 
um, Waitrose and Marks and Sparks. Um, these are, you know, for, for loads of us in this world, Waitrose and Marks and Sparks are an aspirational brand, you know. They do charge slightly more, but within that, you know that you are going to be getting a higher level of customer service. You know that on the whole, they are quality driven brands. You know, everything about Waitrose is about those slightly different tweaked experiences. You know, I can remember going into Waitrose years and years ago and buying, I just wanted to get some cranberries, but they weren't just ordinary cranberries. They were, I can't even remember what they were, but they were some special, you know, from some higher bit of mountain somewhere in the world kind of cranberries I don't know where they came from but there was something that was different and instead of paying probably £1.50 that I would have paid in Sainsbury's I ended up paying something like £3 for these cranberries and you know they weren't even that amazing at the time I really never ever shopped in Waitrose and it was one of those things it just it was convenience it was the only thing that was available to me and so I went in there to get them because whatever reason and at that time, I wasn't someone that shopped in Waitrose. Nowadays, I probably do shop in. It's not somewhere I go out of choice. But if I'm passing John Lewis's, I'll pop into their food hall, which is the equivalent of Waitrose. And and I don't mind shopping in there now. But at that point, I was a real say. I was a definite Sainsbury's person, and that was the only place I ever used to shop. And it really, really kind of it changes your perception when you go from. And it's something that maybe you ought to do as part of if you're setting up a business, just go to go to Aldi or Lidl or even, you know, walk around Pound Stretcher or some one of those like more discounty stores and see how they promote and see how they work. You know, these companies have got huge marketing teams behind them and branding and all of that stuff. They have specialist teams that do this. So Use what they do. Go around and have a look at Aldi. Have a look at Sainsbury's and go to Morrison's and Tesco's and see how they all do it. And then take a step into John Lewis's food hall if you have one near you or the nearest Waitrose or go to Marks and Spencer's. And although they are all doing, they're all selling the same thing and they're all trying to make you buy that loaf of bread that in, you know, in the discount store, it may be 29p. In Sainsbury's, it may be a pound, but in Marks and Spencer's, it might be pound fifty. They're all selling the same thing. But each person that visits all of those three shops will buy from one of them in particular because of something that clicked with them. And you have to work out what it is that you do that's going to make more people click with you. And that's the key. That's really the key to it. But with Waitrose and Marks, as you know, it is it's about the discerning client kind of thing. And it's about people that have got a higher disposable level of income. They aren't so concerned that if they go into um, Aldi and they pay 29p for a loaf of bread, that's wonderful. They've saved a load of money that they can put into their next fabulous holiday. But it may be also that they just don't care if it costs pound fifty because they can afford to spend that money. And you know, I mean, I know lots of people and a lot of my clients that I've had over the years that although really quite affluent and they do shop in Waitrose on a regular basis or they might even shop in Harrods, they still will quite enjoy getting the bargain that comes from Aldi or the bargain that comes on a two for one from Sainsbury's on a whatever day. Everybody crosses over from one level to another at different points. And, you know, I've had points of, you know, being a 
Aldi shopper because I've been absolutely skint over the years and had loads of different um, financial um, challenges at different points. And so I have been that person that shops in Aldi and has no choice but to shop there because that's where I need to buy my food from that week so that I can feed my family. But also now being someone that kind of goes between Sainsbury's and Marks and Spencer's kind of level, um, that's that's usually where I sit. I, I do most of my shopping in Sainsbury's. I know this is really boring, isn't it? But um, I do most of my shopping in Sainsbury's. And then occasionally, if there's certain things that I like, I will go to Marks and Spencer's or to the John Lewis Food Hall and I will buy something that's a little bit more um, upmarket, for want of a better word. But that's kind of where I'm at but I still like the other day I popped into Lidl because my sister-in-law shops there quite a lot and um because they love it and she bought me this wine ages ago for my birthday and it's a lovely Malbec on it it's just it's just really really nice I can't what it's called but it's got a llama on the front of it and um and I know that that's what I saw it in there once when I was in there buying something else and I was like oh my god that's where she got it so I'll make a special trip to go to Lidl's just because they sell that wine and it's a bargain it's like 4.49 a bottle and it's a really easy drink and I love it so irrespective of the fact that I tend to be and my mainstay is Sainsbury's and Waitrose occasionally I will dip my toe back in like you know what we would consider to be like a discount supermarket because they can provide something that I really really like and sometimes those things surprise you and that's what you you know you're up against is working out where people's mainstay is and how you can click into that that's what market positioning is all about this section of the market is also where you're more likely to find high-end machines with high-end prices and that kind of thing and all the treatments that come from those they're usually going to be at the cutting edge of what is happening in the industry they're going to be the first salons that take on the new machine they're going to be the first salon that take on amazing new hair treatment they're always going to be the ones that do it first because they create a higher level of income so they will be able to afford to buy in all of the new to market products that come along and so anyone that wants to be on trend is going to quite often go to these salons more so because they want to get the best um, anti-aging treatments or the best hair treatments or the best nail treatments or the best new lashes that are on the market whatever it is being one of these salons puts you in a position that you can always be at the front of changes within um, the market that the client is going to benefit from the next one would be your Harrods and your kind of Fortnum and Mason I mean these are high end you have got to earn to be frequenting this level of place to shop you have got to be earning a considerable amount of money in comparison to most of us in normal society you know for some of us we might go to Harrods as a treat I know and it's funny where I'm just packing my house up I just found a a Harrods bag from somewhere and I'd saved it because I whenever I don't go to Harrods very often and if I do buy something for some reason I think it started with my mum because she used to do it save the Harrods bag and um and I've just found this Harrods bag and I was going to throw it away and then it's like oh no I can't throw it away it's a Harrods bag and it's the most peculiar thing but that kind of oh my god I managed to go to Harrods and buy something and I'm sure there's a huge amount of us that can relate to that and I still I couldn't throw it away so it's been packed in a box and I don't really know why but it is it's that aspirational thing of 
I went to Harrods. But if you've got, if you want to attract clients that frequent Harrods or Fortnum and Mason on a regular basis, you are going to have to be a high end salon. I mean, this is, you need to be in the best position. This is going to be your city centre salon. This is going to be high end, no expense spared. If you want to attract this client, you have got to be so on point. Your furniture and your furnishings and your decor have to be absolutely spot on spectacular. It needs to take people's breath away as they walk through the door. You need to have front of house like concierge service. You are going to have, um, hopefully, and do you know what? And it's funny because weirdly, there's a couple of places that I'm aware of that are this end of um of the of the market positioning and yet they still actually use some really not so high class brands which I always find quite interesting because it just goes to show that clients don't really know always what they're buying but they do it in such style that the client is overwhelmed with the amazing things that they offer and the service but this these these huge high end salons that kind of attract these very very affluent clients generally have a huge marketing team behind them, a huge branding team behind them. And and they may not even be owned by people that provide the service. They may be owned by investors. They may be owned by someone that's worked their way through and has built um, a massive name for themselves. But generally, these aren't going to be your Joe Bloggs um, hairdresser, your Joe Bloggs beauty therapist or nail tech or whatever. These are going to be owned by people that have built wealth themselves because to create this kind of salon is a lot of debt to get yourself in if you are going to do this on finance. I mean, this is, you know, we're talking the rent costs in the places, you know, like in Knightsbridge or in Sloan Square and all these places that, particularly in London, where the super rich hang out, it it isn't cheap. You know, those rents are going to be thousands of pounds every week. So you have got to make sure that you get absolutely everything perfect. The people that walk through the door of these salons need to feel like queens and kings and princesses. And they need to have um, everybody kind of hanging on on what they want. You know, this is super, super customer service. You cannot get anything wrong. It has to be the best. And, you know, and the the, the ridiculous thing for so many of us that watch these salons is that they're all doing the same as most of the rest of us. You know, they generally are doing the same as your kind of Sainsbury's salon as your Marx's salon. All of them are doing the same thing. But because they've got super expensive furniture in a super expensive salon, they can charge four times the amount of money that the rest of us can. And it all fundamentally comes down to self-belief, confidence, a huge marketing plan carried out with amazing execution and your location. It's all about location with a salon like this. You have to be on the rich people's doorstep. In a regular high street, they would sink because people just wouldn't be able to afford to go there. And there is something very, very exclusive about these salons because they do exclude huge, huge swathes of the population. But that's what they want. It should feel like that person going in there is so special and that they are the only one. Whereas we all like to try and give that appearance to um, and that and try and give that experience to our clients if we are not at this end it is all about the customer journey and about the customer experience and that's true of whatever market position you 
put yourself into. But at this high end, it is everything. That client has to feel a million dollars when they walk through the door. Well, it, it starts even before they walk through the door. We all know that. It starts from the moment they become aware of that brand. And this is why all of your branding and everything is so, so important because that's the initial hook that gets your potential client to consider what your website looks like, what your Instagram, what your Facebook looks like, all of those kind of things. That's what hooks them. And if you don't get it right, you won't be able to charge the money. But that's enough of um, the old Harrods and Fortnum and Mason kind of people, because they are a really, in the in the scheme of things, they're actually a really small part of our industry. However, they're the most likely to win awards and they are the most likely to get in the press. But all of that is about because of who they are, where they are and who they serve. And we all need to remember that and we all need to be proud in whatever area of the market that we sit in. The last one I'm going to look at is something that's probably become more of a market positioning in the last maybe five years or so that you started to see more of these kind of places pop up. And this is a niche market position. And a lot of our niching nowadays is around vegan offerings, around places that are organic only or are plastic free. You know, there's with climate change and with the move to a more planet friendly way of living our industry is having to change. We are probably one of the worst industries for consumables and throwaways. You know, how how many cotton pads do you throw away? How many cotton buds do you throw away? How many tissues? How many plastic sheetings off your couch do you throw away? And even more so since the pandemic, you know, the number of masks, the number of gloves, the number of plastic aprons, it is endless. And trying to be a salon that has a low carbon footprint is a real big challenge. But the consumer is warming to these ideas. And there are already several salons of, of this kind that I know I've judged in different awards over the last year or two that are beginning to try and make a difference. There are now salons in the um, now sector that only provide natural nail care services. They don't do anything else. That is it. They literally put gel polish on nails and that is all they do and they are making a great success at it you know there's salons where all they do is lash services there's salons that only provide an intimate wax service to their clients and if you uh, follow in the podcast episode by episode you would have just heard um, a couple of weeks ago my interview with Marta Zuchowska who is the waxing specialist and although she's been quite niched as a waxing specialist and offering everything waxing for um, nearly 10 years I think it is that she's done she is now niching down even more and all she does is intimate waxing that is it and there's a quite a few different um, people I know that have done that over the years but this is becoming something where people like to have that absolute specialism that they go to because they know that they are going to get 100% of the job they want done and have it done professionally and have it done well and have it done for a it may be a more expensive price because if you're that specialist you should be charging more so because that is what you do that is the only service that you provide and if you are amazing at it like Marta is then charge the money for it you know charge your worth it is um, an absolute right that you should be able to do that if you're niche then all of the decor and everything around that and the way that you set up becomes so much more important because it it marries so tightly with what it is that you are about and if it is you know being an, an planet friendly 
environment you know then everything you have you know should be recycled it should be upcycled it should be renewable it should be sustainable and that needs to be reflected in the branding and how you set yourself up and for someone like Marcham and I've never been to her salon but I've seen it many times um, when I've been on zooms with her and it is it's a beautiful clean clinical environment it's lovely but it has you know massive amounts of pink in it because that's Marta's branding and you know when you see that that it's her um, and it, it just goes to show that no matter what you do and what market positioning you have, there is always opportunity within it to create a successful business. So what are the takeaways from this then? Really, it is just about finding the place that you are comfortable in trading and attracting clients that you can sit and have a comfortable conversation with that you don't feel out of your depth or they don't feel out of their depth. You know, it is just about attracting like with like, because that is the best way to create a successful business. If you are happy and comfortable in the environment you create, then you will attract people that will feel happy and comfortable in that environment too. And just remember that, you know, there's nothing wrong with aspiring. There's nothing wrong with playing to the market. You know, every business owner can see their market opportunity. And within that, you just need to hit the floor running with the right branding, the right marketing, the right positioning of where you sit and what service level it is that you're going to provide, what price level it is that you're going to provide and just make sure it all matches because if everything, all of your values align with the values of your potential client, then they will come to you. If they don't match, then they won't. And you shouldn't ever regret being true to yourself. It's the most important thing. And I know in my salon, when I opened it, it was my demographic was a very, very specific person. And I probably didn't realise it at the time. I don't think I'd, um, I haven't, I hadn't clearly learned as much as I have over the last 10 years of being a salon owner. But at the time, I kind of, I had a feel for what it was I wanted to create. And and by, I don't know if it was by by just sheer luck or, or judgment really initially. But what I wanted to create was something that felt to my potential clients like they were coming home. I wanted to create something that felt like they were having a treatment done in their own home, in their front room, and that they could relax with a cup of tea and good conversation with their technician or therapist if they chose to have that conversation. And that was what my vision was. And you need to start with that vision or with your own vision, obviously, because mine might not be your vision. But that's the kind of thing. That's where I started. I knew I wanted to get those people. I knew that in my local area of the residential area were people that were affluent. There were people that were regular people that weren't so affluent. And I kind of knew that I needed to get something that could make everybody feel welcome. And mine was all about having that open door, that open heart to be available to my clients and to be able to provide them with a service that they weren't going to get anywhere else locally. But I did create something that that encouraged the right kind of client. And it was the kind of client that I wanted to have in my business. It was the kind of client that I could sit down and have a conversation with whilst I was doing their nails. Um, or I could, you know, help 
and empathise with how they were feeling with their work and help them relax while I was giving them an aromatherapy massage. You know, there's so much involved in what it is that you can give to that client and the connection that you create with that client. And if you aren't in the right setting, it won't click. So just make sure if you're about to set out on your first journey into salon business ownership, that you think about who you are, what you are, what your values are, and who it is that you want to connect with, because that's the most important part of all of this. So I'll leave it there. And I will catch up with you next week. I'm still in my house at the moment and hopefully got another couple of weeks here before I'm going to probably take a little break. But I hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast and that it's been useful, me and my ramblings. And I will speak to you next week. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Inspiring Salon Professionals. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, leave a review and share with other industry professionals you think may enjoy the show too. For links and further information, you'll find those in the show notes or on my website, www.suedavies.org. You can also hear more from me and join the Inspiring Salon Professionals community on the Facebook group. Thanks again and see you next time. Bye for now.